Well, happy 4th of July. I hope it's a great day for you. I hope you get to barbecue today and eat some of your favorite food. I hope you get to be around some of your favorite people, your friends and family. I hope it's a great time of celebration. I hope you get the opportunity to talk as a family and to say things like, I am just amazed at the unique freedoms we experience here in the United States. I hope that you're able to talk about the, the stories of your own family who, who maybe even migrated from other countries to come here to celebrate the freedom that we get. And this freedom isn't free. And we recognize that this freedom isn't free, that it costs people's lives. And that Jesus himself is the one who says no greater love is anyone than that they would lay down their lives for their friends. And, and that today especially, we would be able to recognize the unique freedom that we have in the United States, but that that freedom is extended to us by God himself in the work of Jesus the Christ, the one who was willing to go to the cross for our sins, the one who was willing to conquer sin and death, the one who rose from the grave and gives life to everyone who calls on him. I hope you have those kind of conversations today, and I hope your heart is full as you get to celebrate the 4th of July. Recently, I read a book uh, called Humility, an unlikely biography of America's greatest virtue, humility. And the idea throughout the book is that uh, the United States is uniquely founded by leaders who displayed humility. And they weave in different stories from uh, uh, George Washington, Abigail Adams, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and others as they tell this amazing story of how humility is really a big part of the direction of the United States and how we receive freedom even today. It's a tricky thing. It's not necessarily a Christian book, but it leans into the Christian influence of the United States. It's really interesting. In fact, uh, a few things that come out that I just, I would like to lead with as we enter into our time in the Word is this. Addressing humility, the author says that the word in English comes from a word that's associated with earth, ground. By extension, it means lowliness. It means down to earth, <laughs> not up in the clouds somewhere. Humility is a right understanding of where we stand. It's an interesting thought. He goes on to use a definition by Merriam-Webster's dictionary. Uh, a part of it I'm going to, I guess, lean into a little bit more. And that is this, that humility is a modest view of self, which makes us wonder, well, what is a modest view of self? And I, I like how they, how they stated this, so I want to quote it. And he says that modesty is not an underestimate of one's worth, but rather restraint against the inordinate desire for recognition. So modesty is not, um, uh, is not devaluing ourselves. Uh, modesty is just simply, I don't need to be recognized for where I stand, for the place that, I'm in, that, I, that, I, uh, that I am in. Modesty uh, is unique. And so I really like that idea that 
Humility is a modest view of ourselves and that this humility actually has action with it. It's not just a mindset, but there's action associated. And we'll get into that as we jump into the word in just a moment. But before we go there, I want to tell you where we're going to go. So uh, we're going to start by framing our subject with some current issues, some contemporary ideas that I would say plague us and maybe culturally keep us from experiencing humility. We're going to move from there to discuss self-pride. Is there room for us to have pride in ourselves? From there, we're going to move on into some scriptures and, ta- and see what the scriptures have to say about things like humility and pride and arrogance and more specifically, what the Lord thinks of those things. And then we're going to pause And we're going to look at Jesus as our model. Because in the end, that's what really matters. Like, if we're going to follow Jesus, then we need to see how Jesus models things. And empowered by the Holy Spirit, not in hopes of earning salvation, but rather, uh, as we love the Lord, we follow Jesus in like manner. And that's what we're going to see. Are you ready? You want to do this? Well, you're here. You might as well. Let's open up in prayer, and we're going to jump into the Word together. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you and praise you. We ask, Almighty God, that you would be exalted and that you would be lifted up. And Lord, as we consider your Word today, I pray that it would imprint our hearts in such a way that we couldn't not see you at work in our lives. And today, Lord, as we celebrate this amazing freedom that's been afforded to us, we also recognize that that freedom uniquely comes from from you, and that ultimate freedom is only found in you. And so we lean into that today, Lord. We ask that uh, just in a very real way, you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. And also, Lord, we, we would ask, I would ask, I would beg you, Lord, that you would hide me behind the cross of Calvary, that uh, today we need to hear from you. Uh, we, we need uh, your word to be loud and clear. And we need your spirit, Lord, to, we just need to marinate in you, Lord, that we would be transformed moment by moment, more and more into your image for your glory. We love you, Lord. And it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, let's talk about some current issues. Here's the first one. Being authentic is the highest virtue. Now, We don't often say it quite like that, but that's what we say when we say things like, that's just who I am. Well, yeah, I do that, but that's just who I am. I mean, I I can't not be me. I got to do this because that's, that's who I am. Or maybe we might even say it another way. I was born this way. That's just what I do. Uh, I've thought about this a lot over the last few weeks, especially, and I thought of growing up in my home in uh, southern Indiana and my mother who was our disciplinarian uh, loved us but also really good as a disciplinarian and I, I, I can't imagine saying to my mom as I'm teasing my brother mom that's just the way I am like you made me this way <laughs> uh, if anyone's to blame it's probably you mom uh, you can't imagine what sort of consequences that would have meant for me growing up in southern Indiana. Uh, like, I think we can all understand that it doesn't take much to, to recognize that 
that being authentic doesn't justify a behavior, right? Like, just because I am being who, I, who I've always been, how I was created, it doesn't justify the behavior. In fact, I can be exactly the way that I am and be sinful, and be quite sinful, actually, to walk in unfaith. And it's that point of ownership that is very important. I, I could give you several examples. One of those examples uh, would be Jezebel. In the Old Testament, Jezebel is a queen of uh, Israel in the north, and Jezebel grows up loving her God. As she goes into Israel, she wants the God of Israel pushed out and her God in. She's just being authentic. She's just being true to herself. And as she does this, there is this tension, but ultimately there are some consequences that Jezebel faces. Because you can be authentic and you can be wrong. But when we align those two, being authentic with the word of God, uh, that is a beautiful thing. And that's what I want to encourage us with as, as we set up this framework before we jump into humility and pride. The, the next one, let your heart lead you. Anybody ever heard that? Let you, you just got to follow your heart. Oh, if you would just, you have this passion, you should just do what your heart says. And I'm like, no, <laughs> do not do what your heart says. Why? Well, here's why. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. What is? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Like our hearts are fleeting. There is something in our hearts that want what we want. And that's all it wants. In the New Testament, it's fleshed out a little bit more even. Mark chapter 7 says it this way. For from within, out of the heart of man... Come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and they defile a person. That these things are inside of us. You know, the fall of humankind in the garden with Adam and Eve, I don't think we fully understand how much damage that's done to humanity. Uh, like we, we are shattered glass trying to put this thing back together and it's, it's not quite the way it's supposed to be. We don't look quite the way God intended yet. And these things exist in our hearts. So when we say things like follow your heart, be careful. Be careful because these things can come out of it. Don't follow your heart. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Matt uh, was preaching about discerning God's will. Follow your heart was not one of the suggestions that he gave. And for good reason. Follow your heart. That's one of them. And then the third thing, and this again is such a subtle idea. We can do better. We can do better. Um, I, I hear this often, and I, I want to say there is some truth to it. And, and I get where we go with this. Like, you can do better than that. Uh, really, though, we're talking about consequences, like there are these weird thoughts that we have from time to time. And isn't it good that we don't act on those weird thoughts that we have from time to time? The consequences would be greater than if we don't act on them, right? So, yeah, it's way better to uh, adjust behavior than it is to not do it. And in that respect, okay, do better. But that's not what we're talking about. 
in the West, we have this idea, and I've seen it a lot in churches, hey, this is your best life now, and we just want the best life you can have, and you get, just be the best you that you can be. That's a damage right there, because that's, that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says, die to yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. That's what the scriptures teach us. It's an emptying ourselves, uh, being emptied out of self, and being filled up with the Spirit. Uh, that's what the scriptures teach. Can we do better? Well, let's look at the word and see what the word has to say about that. First John chapter 1, verse 8 through 10 says it this way. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Like even just the idea, we all have this capacity to sin. There is something within us that defaults towards sin if we're not careful. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That sounds like God's work, not me doing better. This is me confessing sin. It's turning away. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. You can do better. Proverbs 21.2 says it this way. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes but the Lord weighs his heart. What are we saying? Uh, We're saying that we can't do better without the Lord. That, That what God has called us to is dying to self and living towards him. Being emptied out and filled up with him. That's different than do better. We just want a better version of yourself. No, no, no. No, we don't want that at all. That is not what the Lord is calling us to. And that's an important piece of this. So what does that mean? Does that mean we shouldn't have any pride in ourselves? Uh, Does this mean we shouldn't be proud of ourselves? Well, Galatians 6.4 is the the only where in Scripture where I could really find a hint where pride is used kind of in a good way. There's one other uh, verse, uh, uh, about 10 verses from this one. Uh, But pride is used in a good way. Here's one of them. It says it this way. But let each one test his own work. And then, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. So the idea seems to be that if you've, if you've worked, if you've done something good, then maybe there's a reason to boast. But then Paul is going to follow up with this. Paul's going to clarify a matter and he's going to lead in a direction. So this isn't, I'm not, Paul is identifying this isn't about boasting in me and who I am, but rather, well, there's some things that I've accomplished. It was hard to accomplish and I did it and I'm proud of that. But Paul comes back with it this way. He says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and to the world. There is something better than what I've accomplished. Way better. Infinitely better. And it's in the work of Jesus Christ. And he helps us to put our minds there. And so, with that in mind... Let's talk now a little bit about what the scriptures say with respect to humility and pride and arrogance. By the way, uh, I mentioned earlier the book by uh, Dr. David Bob. And uh, in that book, it's, it's kind of funny in that he would say the opposite of humility is one step beyond pride and that's arrogance. Now in the scriptures, we kind of see pride and arrogance, they're, they're a very closely related word anyways, but they kind of swapped a lot in the scriptures. 
Dr. Bob, he, he takes it and he says that arrogance is having pride but no accomplishment to have the pride. <laughs> so it's like it's empty. So that's how he identifies the arrogance. I just thought it was funny, so I shared it. There you go. No extra charges. All right, let's look at some passages. Uh, these passages aren't up on the, uh, on the screens. So if you are a note taker, I would encourage you to write these uh, references down because I'm going to go through them kind of quick, but I'll pause to give you the address. Proverbs 8.13 says this, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Proverbs 16.5, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Arrogance does not sound like a good thing in the presence of God. Continuing on, Proverbs 27.2, let another praise you and not your own mouth. Remember, that's that idea of modesty that was defined earlier. We're not seeking recognition. A stranger and not your own lips. Proverbs 16.18, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Continuing on in a similar vein, Proverbs 18, 12, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. And in this passage, we get kind of both as Proverbs 29, 23, one's pride will bring him low. So you would think pride is this puffing up. (laughs) It's like, I'm better. But actually what it does is it brings us low. And then, he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. So there is something about this, uh, uh, this um, idea of pride that drops us low, and there's something about humility that raises us up. Proverbs 16.5, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 22.4, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Humility seems to be looked, looked at well by the Lord, whereas pride is looked down on by God. So let's keep going. Let's move on. If humility is good and Jesus is our example of humility, then how has Jesus modeled humility? How do we see this in the person of Jesus Christ? That's an important question for us to ask. It's an important direction for us to go, not just together, but I would say even individually as we're studying and as as you're maybe in your own devotional thoughts in the days to come, you'll you'll be reading perhaps even from your devotional these big ideas. And I want to encourage you to always, what does Jesus have to, how does Jesus model this? What is, what is our connection to Jesus? Because in the end, we're not commanded to follow Moses. We're not commanded to uh, uh, follow others. We're commanded to follow Jesus. Uh, with that in mind, there's this caveat that Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So there is that where you see Christ in someone, do that. Good point. Thanks, Paul. Let's keep going. Philippians chapter 2. We're in Philippians chapter 2. We'll go through the first eight verses and kind of walk through them together. Identify six things that, uh, that Jesus does that calls us into uh, humility. One of the word pictures that I'd like to give you as, as we start to read this passage is that of someone reaching down 
firm on their foundation and helping someone out of a pit. I'd like you to get that visual in your mind, someone reaching down and helping someone out of a pit. They're standing on their firm foundation. They're on their ground. There's no denying it. But they're helping someone else as, as an action. Consider that as we read these passages. Starting in verse 1. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, that word participation, it's a cool word, it was used of the churches. They put their money, their resources together and gave it to the church in Jerusalem to help them out. They were united. They were together. They were helping one another out. They were caring for one another. Any affection and sympathy complete my joy or make my joy come to maturity by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Uh, I, love, I love this passage for many reasons, but one of them, that one mind piece, I've often wondered if when the readers were hearing this proclaimed in the early church, if their brains didn't wander to the gospel of John, where uh, Jesus is, is praying, and in his prayer, he says, Father, make them one as you and I are one, that the world may know that you sent me. Jesus' own prayer calls us to oneness. In fact, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that's the only place I can find in Scripture where we can answer Jesus' prayer. He answers my prayers all the time. But this is the one place that I see that we can answer Jesus' prayer. And it's that call to unity, to oneness. It was such an important part of the early church that for the first thousand years, there were no, there were no hives. There were issues that were dealt with, but they were over one major banner because they, they wanted so carefully to be one. And so it's our call. And it's Paul's call to the early church. To be of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul is setting this up. He's, he's kind of, again, giving you some framework to, uh, uh, to put a picture of Christ in. Getting our hearts and our minds ready to hear this description Prepare yourself, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let's take, let's take a look at this. Jesus is our example of humility, then there are some things that we can pull out and start to apply. And, and again, I, I want to emphasize this because I think it's worth discussing. I'm not talking about behavior modification. I'm not saying, uh, just be better. <laughs> we dealt with that earlier. But what I am saying is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Not just in obedience, but in loving care of our Savior. Let's follow him in this act of humility. And here's what it may look like. Look at others' interests. Look at others' interests. It's so, it's so hard for us. I mean, we experience the world selfishly. Not in a bad way. That's just, we're humans. Like, 
I only have my eyes that I can see the world with. Uh, in fact, I would say that because I have my eyes, I was able to recognize the direction that my life was going. And that was that I'm a sinner. That I couldn't save myself. That my, my path was leading in a direction uh, that was going to be harmful. And that I needed, I needed a savior. And in the right time, in the moment, I heard the gospel of Christ, that there is a God who loves you so much that he died on the cross for your sins. That this God conquered sin and death and he rose from the grave and he gives life to anybody who will call on him. And I remember receiving the Lord on November 3rd, 1991 because of recognizing the world through my eyes. But as a believer, we take the next step. How do others, what are the interests of others? How do we care for other people? What might they be perceiving? What might they be feeling? What might they be experiencing? That's this really weird tension that we have in the church right now. On the one hand, there is preach the gospel, preach the gospel, preach the gospel. On the other hand, there's like this social justice, social justice. Don't say words, just social justice. And there has to be this place where our words and our actions line up. And that's what we're talking about as we look at looking at the interests of others. Two, have the mind of Christ. Uh, maybe, you, maybe you were uh, uh, in youth group 20 years ago or, or a youth pastor like I was. Everybody had those bracelets and some of the really cool youth groups had those shirts, WWJD, what would Jesus do? It's kind of become like uh, corny. <laughs> weird. Um, but I like the message. Like, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus really care for my neighbor? How would Jesus really love the people around me? What would Jesus do in these moments? What is the mind of Christ in this? How do we look at this in a redemptive way and not just through a fallen state? Well, we're all lost. People are going to hell. I don't know what to say. Maybe Jesus will come back. Like, that, that, that is not the attitude or spirit of the believer, but rather in a redemptive way. How do we have the mind of Christ to engage moment by moment by moment? How do we do this? Walking in the spirit. How do we do this? Knowing his word. How do we do this? Living it out. How do we do this? Modeling it. How do we do this? Discipleship. Not equal to self. This one kind of blows my mind, to be honest. I say kind of. Uh, like, kind of blows my mind, like, as if someone could kind of be pregnant. Now, either you are or you're not. This blows my mind. How does God not consider equality with God? How does Jesus show up as God and yet not consider equality with God? Yet at the same time, Jesus uh, uh, refers to himself as God. John chapter 8, we see that. Before Abraham was, I am. Uh, Jesus is called the Messiah, and he doesn't deny that. He doesn't, like, he doesn't take this fake, hum uh, humble position of saying, oh, Peter, stop that. You're embarrassing me in front of everybody. He doesn't do that. Uh, he recognizes exactly who he is, but he reaches down and helps people out of the pit and to where he is. It's a humble position, not equal to self. It, it means that... Um, we're not entitled. 
I'm not entitled to be treated a certain way. I'm not entitled to get this sort of recognition. I don't expect it to move my platform up to the next level. I'm not entitled for that. I'm simply where I am. And where I'm standing is solid ground. And on the solid ground, I can reach down and help people out. Continuing on. Emptied out self. Again, another mind-blowing thing that Jesus uh, in, the, in human form shows up. And you know, I'm, again, I know that there's a, a spiritual debate here, but, but Jesus being God in the flesh from our mindset, it might have made sense for him to establish an eternal kingdom maybe out of Jerusalem and have a just really beautiful palace and he could have built his armies and angels could have come down and it would have been a great thing but God knows better. And he empties himself out and he, and he comes to serve. And he doesn't look for selfish ambition. How do, I, how do I achieve the next thing for my glory at the expense of you? But rather he empties himself out, being filled up with the spirit. There's no conceit, but rather an emptying. And that brings us to the next. He serves an amazing God to serve. This floors me. Consider this, that in the ancient world, most temples were put high up on mountains. It was tricky to get to them. Like it wasn't just an easy, accessible thing. But the mindset is exactly what you might perceive. I have to climb up to this place. I have to go high to meet this God where God is way up there. And I have to sacrifice to that deity in that place. The only religion that I am aware of that is different is Christianity where God comes down. Where the sacrifice is made so that we could be right with God. Only God makes the sacrifice. Only God is the sacrifice. So different than what the world gives us. So different than the way we think maybe it should be or ought to be. Jesus, God in the flesh, came to serve, help you out of that pit, and join me as my child here, adopted into the family. And then I, I think this part is, is interesting and worth noting, bound by human form. We too are bound by human form, and there's something about our human form that causes humility. If you live long enough, you, you, you'll experience that. Hey, who I was in the strength of my youth is different as I get older. I've been around long enough to see some really great and strong men uh, who need a lot of help. Men who pick themselves up by their bootstraps who needed help. There was some humbling that took place and our bodies are in part to remind us of that humbling that takes place that actually we're we're not in charge and there is a certain time where you just can't pick yourselves up by your bootstraps anymore and you do need help and our body is a physical limitation that reminds us of that in some very real ways but I got good news these bodies are going to go away one day and we get a resurrected body and it's perfect, and it's good, and it's strong, and it's already set to glorify God. Like, we're not going to have to fight against it anymore. That's a beautiful thing. So, as we start to transition 
to communion and, and we start to think about maybe uh, not just the sacrifice that God has given, but also our role in this piece of humility that brings freedom, uh, I want to take us to a question. Christ is our example, so how are we doing? How are we doing at following Christ's example? It would be really easy for us to kind of pull back and go, well, as a church, I actually think you could. That, like, that would be really easy. It would also be really easy to say, you know who needs to hear this message? My neighbor, my spouse, my child, my, right? <laughs> my parents. Right? Like, it's real easy to do that. But what I'm going to ask is that for each of us, just right where we are, to pause before the Lord, Holy Spirit, oh, would you illuminate my heart? Would you help me to identify, how am I doing on this? How am I doing at standing on this platform, wherever that is in my life, and reaching down and helping those to come up to where, Lord, you've allowed me to be, to humble myself? How am I really doing on that? I want to give you a few moments to do that as we start to transition uh, into communion. Let's take some time quietly before the Lord right now. Communion is designed for those who have called on the name of the Lord as their Savior. It's a command that Jesus gave his church. We call it an ordinance in our fellowship. Something that we do to remember this mystery of the presence of God even among us. As believers, we're also called to pause and to examine our hearts and that's, in fact, what I was asking you to do just before we began this, this part of the service. Holy Spirit, examine our hearts. Is there any unconfessed sin that needs to be addressed? Areas where we chose to walk in the flesh and not in faith. Areas where perhaps pride built in instead of humility, uh, humbleness. Are there some areas where we need to confess to the Lord. And the word confess means to say the same thing. God already knows it. I mean, we're not surprising him with anything. You know, when we confess our sins, he doesn't go, oh, I had no idea that you did. That's not it at all. But rather, God says, I know. And thank you for confessing your sins because I am faithful and just to forgive you of those sins and forgive you of all unrighteousness, cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That's God's work. And so, if there is some unconfessed sin, now's the time to get it right. This is a calibrating time as we remember what the Lord has done. In fact, on the night that the Lord was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it with his disciples, reminding them that we're in this together. There's a symbol there, and don't miss it, that we're in this together. We're participating of this same bread. That which I'm eating that is given to me of the Father, you also are eating uh, 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 as a portion of what the Father has given you. And what we find, what we're reminded of, is that there is a sacrifice that was given. And Jesus broke the bread, he gave thanks, and he reminded them, this is my body broken for you. It's given to you. And we come together and we remember what the Lord has done. Let's participate. Not just that. 
But also, Jesus took the glass, the cup, and he gave thanks, and he reminded them, this is my blood. This is the new covenant, that old covenant where you trusted in those sacrifices, there is a better sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice, and it's me. And when you come together, remember, and you're participating together in this life that I have given, and it's sacrificial. And when we drink of this cup, we remember that sacrifice that was given that we have life, and we remember that we are participants in that sacrifice, extending it in a humble way to help others. We remember what the Lord has done. Let's participate. As the worship team comes, let's just calm our hearts and prepare it. Jesus, we love you. And we praise you. We are so thankful for the freedom that has been extended to us. And we also recognize that this freedom has only come to us because of what you have done. Because of your work. Not because I can be better. Not because my heart knows the right thing. Not because I'm being authentic. But rather that you were willing to be the way, the truth, and the life that you were willing to offer your life as a sacrifice, that we could have life. And you humbly went to the cross for my sins and for our sins. And Lord, we are so thankful for you. And we celebrate you even today. And it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.